have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 3 as we're going to talk about the lame man. And all week in the office has been the joke. Don't have a lame sermon about the lame man. I mean, my kids aren't even here for the dad joke there, but uh, it was just too, it was just there to have right in front of me. So we're going to talk about the lame uh, beggar and, and the healing of, of, of him. And so Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 all the way down to verse 10. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to see what God has to say for us out of this incredible uh, healing. So it says, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth came, uh, was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to re- receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture right here in Acts chapter 3. You've put it in front of us, the inspired Word of God, for us to learn more about you. And we get to learn this morning about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that we need than Jesus Impress that truth upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit this morning. Transform our lives. Make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, because of what we're going to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, think back with me, if you would, to uh, a time in your life that was the most joyful or the most exciting time uh, of your life. Maybe it's an event that you had. Uh, Maybe you're thinking back to uh, your wedding day. Uh, maybe you're thinking back to uh, the birth of your first child, uh, not the second one, but the first one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe uh, you're thinking back to if you're younger, uh, the, uh, maybe you had a birthday party that you liked. Maybe it was the day that you got your driver's license and uh, you got to drive on the open road. Uh, maybe if you were in Little League, it was that first hit or that first home run or that first strikeout that you had. Uh, This morning, we're going to see, we're going to talk about what we just read here was a man who we get to encounter his most exciting day of his life, a transforming day, a day where his life was transformed on the inside and his life was transformed on the outside. If you were to ask this man what was the most exciting day of his life, he would point you to this story right here where his entire life changed. And it was a miraculous day. 
In fact, we're going to start now as we, we in, enter into Acts chapter 3, uh, uh, more miracles that are going to happen all throughout the book. And this is uh, one of three miracles that happen in regards to healing a crippled in the book of Acts. It's important for us, even as we jump into this story and talk about miracles and healings, of, is to understand about healings that happen in the book of Acts and so-called healings that even happen today. We need to understand that there is a difference between uh, the gift of healing that was used in the book of Acts and those who claim to have the gift of healing today. Jesus gave the gift of healing to the apostles and to the early church to convince people that Jesus is God. They healed people as the gospel was spread. When they preached the gospel with authority, it was, a, it was with a miracle that would often validate their message. The miracle would be a sign that the work of Jesus Christ would continue on from the times in the Gospels to the time in the book of Acts. And these miracles would happen until the word of God was complete. He gave gifts of healing specifically to the apostles. And this New Testament gift of healing here, as we're, we're going to see the very first one here, this, first, this very first sign recorded in, in the book of Acts of healing, we need to understand that this is different than what people would even claim today. The, the gift of healing, according to the Bible, has ceased. Now, let's not confuse that with the power of prayer. The power of prayer continues on today. In fact, God uses even the power of prayer to heal people. And I, you say to me, Joe, are you saying that miracles don't happen today? No, I'm saying to you, miracles do happen today. Are you saying that, here, that healing doesn't happen today? No, I'm saying to you, uh, healings do happen today. What I'm saying to you is this, is that the gift of healings, the very gift of it, has ceased. Yet our prayers for healings continue, and God uses those prayers often to heal people. The power of prayer has not ceased. And we've got to remember this, the book of Acts is a, a transition book from the time of Christ to the time of the apostles to the, the times of the early church. In fact, you could even, even look in your Bibles if you'd like that there is no record of healing outside of the Gospels and the book of Acts. You can keep going into all the letters and you won't find another healing that happens. And the purpose of miracles in the book of Acts, the purpose of the healings here in the book of Acts, as I said, it was a sign to confirm the power of the gospel that was being spread rapidly throughout the region. And that was the case here. The church was just established, right? We went through that. Uh, if you were with us at all in the last two months, then, then you saw that. The, the church was established there in Acts 2.42. People were, were coming to know Christ. You see it in Acts 2.41 and in Acts 2.47. People were coming to know Christ. And now Peter and John were about to go out and, and uh, spread the gospel. And the first thing they do is they confirm their message right away was healing this lame beggar. This was a sign of the apostolic church age. Let's look at this together. I just want to walk through this together. I've just got three bullet points here that I want to do, uh, uh, what I want to share with you as we walk through this together. And first is this. I just want to set uh, for us the setting of this miracle. This is the setting of the miracle. This is what it says. Peter and John were going up to the temple 
at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The story starts off here by by introducing us here to Peter and John together. Now, now this is an interesting combination to have both Peter and John together. Only God would put these two personalities together. Peter was very outgoing. He was, uh, you could say, he was opinionated. He was gregarious. He was one of those guys that you would say he was ready, fire, aim. That, That was Peter. He was known as what kind of a disciple? A disciple with what? A, a foot-shaped mouth, right? I mean, all the time, he's like, ah, oh, let me take that back out. Ah, oh, I shouldn't have said that. John, on the other hand, he was very, very much reflective. He was very tender. You could read uh, the Gospel of John and, and even the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You could tell there's just a, a tender side to his personality. And John was ready, aim, 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 aim fire. That, that was John. And you have both Peter and John together, these, these two different personalities. And they're the first ones who go out together. And they were very close friends. They were business partners. In fact, if you remember at the tomb, the, the two people who, who ran to the tomb, right? It was both what? Peter and John, who were the first ones to run to the tomb. They, they were ministry partners. They were friends for sure. And here, after the church is formed together, it is Peter and John who make their way to the temple and they're headed to the temple. It says there in what? The ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon, headed to the temple and they're going to do what? They were going to pray. They're headed to the temple to pray. And as they're making their way there, they encounter this lame man, as it says in verse two, a, a lame man. Uh, man from birth. And he was at the temple. He was at a gate there. It says there was called what? The beautiful gate. This gate was a a massive gate around the temple. And there was a lot of different gates around uh, the temple. This one, some some people even say that the gate was some 70 feet high. This gate was, was covered in, in brass and in gold. It was, it was what it says. It was a beautiful gate. David Thompson says this about Josephus and, and his recordings of this gate. He says uh, in his description of the temple, he says all the gates were beautiful, but there was one specific gate that was more beautiful than others. It was called the Corinthian gate because it was covered with Corinthian brass along with silver and gold. It was located on the east side of the temple. Josephus claimed, he was a historian during that time, that it was richer and more beautiful than all the other gates. There is no question that this would be a good place to beg for money because many people would just want to see this spectacular gate so it would be an area of high traffic. Beggars know how to figure out where the high traffic areas are. In fact, one person who actually studied beggars in cities all over the world claimed that beggars not only know where the high traffic areas are, they also watch people's eyes because they have learned the type of person who is likely to respond. And so here's this beggar. He's at this beautiful gate where where people would come just to see the gate. And and he knew, this beggar knew that, hey, there's going to be a lot of people there. And he would go there and he would sit at the entrance of this gate. It would be like 
someone sitting, if, we, if you could, just right out the front of Bell Square Mall on December 24th, when all the men are still having to shop for their wives. And they're going there because why? It's a high traffic area. It's like the Salvation Army setting up out there. Why are they there ringing the bells? Why? Because so many people are walking by. What do we know about this man? We know this, was to say, he's lame from birth. He had to be carried to this gate. In fact, in Acts 4.22, it says that this man is, is 40 years old. He hasn't been able to walk. He's never been able to walk. He would have to be carried to these temple steps, this gate, every single day. In fact, it's what it says. It says daily he was doing this. It would usually be a family member who would, who would carry them. And in that society, it was, it, it was of great merit if you would carry somebody to the, who was crippled to the gate. This man, you could say this, this man was without really any hope at all. This man was not making an impression on anybody. He was just being carried there every single day, sitting outside the gate. As people would walk by, he would beg them for money. This man had no real significance in life. He had no real purpose in life. He was totally dependent on others. He had nothing socially even to offer this world. He was lame. Whatever dreams he may have had to walk weren't going to come true. Whatever dreams he had to make an impression on this world were never going to happen. He had to beg for money. There was no government aid. There was no handouts for him. Begging was the only way for him to have any sort of meaning in life. And this was day after day after day for 40 years until one day Peter and John show up and on this particular day everything in his life would change and I mean everything in his life would change look at verse 3 what it says it says seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple he asked them for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and, and said, look at us. This beggar sees Peter and John come up and think, hey, here's, here's a couple of guys that are coming to the temple. I'll, I'll ask them. Maybe it's them that will give me some money. Maybe sensing, as beggars do, is they look at one, and then if they're not going to get any from him, they don't want to miss the next person, so their eyes jump to the next person, and then their eyes jump to the next person and the next person as, as these people are walking in. And this is why Peter, I think, said to him, hey, hey, look at us. We want your undivided attention. Don't, don't be looking at everybody else. We, we, we have something for you. We, we want your attention here. Don't look at the next potential donor. Look at us. And it says there in verse 5 that he, he fixed his attention on him because finally somebody stopped 
and engage the man. Hey, this is our guy. Hey, these are our guys right here. They, they're going to give me some money. I've been sitting here all day. Maybe these guys will give me something. Maybe these guys will give me some money. And this sets up the scene then for what is about to happen next. And let me just give you the second point here that I want us to look at here as we keep on unwrapping this miracle, and that is this, the power of the miracle. As we see here in verses 6 and 7, this lame beggar is there. He's, his eye is jumping from one potential donor to the next, and Peter and John catch him. He says, look at us. And then in verse 6, Peter says this to the to this, this lame man, he says this, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, uh, by the right hand and and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping. He stood up, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What happened right here in this, in this, this crippled life is this, is that the power of Jesus Christ came upon his life. This was, in fact, a miracle. This, this goes against the, the very laws of nature, and the only answer is that this is attributed to God. For 40 years, this man would have sought out what it would take to make his legs move and work again. And Peter and John understood this. That what this man actually needed was a miracle from Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Peter and John have never done a miracle before. And they walk up to this guy. And Peter grabs his attention. I'm thinking John's going, oh, Peter, wait a minute. What are you about to say here, Peter? Okay, let's think about this. Think this through here. You know, it, I mean, this moment could have ruined Peter and John. Just think about this. They say, hey, buddy, rise up and walk. And the guy's like, I can't. My legs don't work. I mean, he, that would have been a story in and of itself because these two guys coming out of this incredible sermon, these people get saved and they go and try to perform a miracle. And the guy's like, sorry, it didn't work. I can't move my legs. But notice what Peter says here. They come up to this man and they immediately say this to him. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And you see what happens immediately when Peter grabs him by the right hand he immediately rises up, says his feet and his ankles were made strong. 
This word here for rise and walk, uh, uh, these two words here, they're, they're these verbs that uh, are in the present imperative, it means this. It means to be rising, to be walking. It, it expresses this enduring action that he would always be able to walk. It wasn't that he stood up and he took a couple of steps and that was it. No, he was fully rejuvenated. He would be able to walk now and always. Just thinking about this, have you ever torn a ligament before, maybe in a knee or, or in an ankle? Maybe you rolled your ankle uh, some, sometime. Maybe, uh, maybe even you, you, uh, your leg has fallen asleep before. And you get up too quickly, and you're like, yeah, my leg wasn't ready for that. In that moment, his legs went from not ever working. Think about this. He's never learned to walk. He never went through the motions of a baby that would, that would crawl and then pull himself up on the couch and then balance right there and then take the first step or the second step. No, this man immediately, it says there what? That he leaped up. He stood up. He didn't even have to learn balance before. Every Every toe, every joint, every muscle, every ligament was working properly. The blood was flowing properly. This was total restoration of the body. The atrophied muscles were now strengthened, and in an instant, he stands up. He doesn't just start walking. He starts leaping and praising God. There was no recovery process here. I mean, this guy probably had some of the most incredible athleticism around. I mean, this is the guy that I want on my, my 40 and over basketball league. You've got fresh legs. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> Those are working pretty good. This guy could move. But think about what's important here in the text that we, that we can't, that we can't uh, skim over. We, we, we have to go back and we have to dive into this important statement here by Peter when he says, I, I have no silver and gold, but I give to you in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ is to, is to rise up and walk. What, what this man, listen, what this man thought he needed, what this man thought he needed was money. But what he actually needed was Jesus. And what you think you need, Peter and Peter and John are saying, what you think you need, you will not get. But what you actually need, I will give to you. He's saying to this man, I have something better than money to offer you. I have something that money cannot buy. I have something that all the riches in the world cannot give to you. And that something is a someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. 
Here's what Peter and John knew when they walked up to this crippled man. This is what they knew. They knew this, that one more coin, one more dollar, one more deal, one more donor, just a little bit more money was not going to give this man what he needed most. What this man needed most was a radical transformation from Jesus Christ. He needed his body healed. He needed his heart transformed. He he needed to be saved. And no amount of money would ever do that. Nothing in this world would fix that. Nothing in this world would ever satisfy this man. Apart from Jesus Christ. And so Peter And John offered to this man what could fully satisfy his heart. What you think you need to satisfy you, I can't give it to you. But what I can give to you is what will actually satisfy your heart. And that's Jesus. And isn't this principle still true today? How often do we think to ourselves, if I just had that deal, my heart would be satisfied. If I just got that raise, if I just got that job, if I just got into that relationship that I've always wanted to get into, if I just had a little bit more, And in that sense, we are all acting like the lame beggar. We're begging for the world to satisfy us when the world wasn't designed to satisfy us. We're asking the world to bring us happiness. We're asking the world to heal our hearts. We're caught up in the American dream. That if I just had a little bit more, if I, if I just had this one thing, if, if this man would just give me this thing, then, then I will be healed and satisfied. And it's not just the poor who beg. Often it's all of us begging for the world to satisfy our hearts. And what we need is not more of the world, and what we need is not more riches, and what we need is is not more things in this world. What we need is to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the only thing that can transform our lives and satisfy our hearts. When Peter and John offered to him Jesus, And when through Peter, Jesus would heal this man, everything in this man's life changed. Because this is what Jesus does. What's interesting here is this, this this lame man, you think about this, he wasn't even seeking Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus wasn't on his radar. And think about this. He's been there for 40 years. Who probably walked by him? Jesus. 
There's a good chance Jesus walked by him and did nothing. This man wasn't seeking out Jesus. This man wasn't seeking out God. This man was seeking for gold. And God sends out two men to minister to him and say to him, hey, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but what I have is something that could radically change your life, and that is Jesus Christ. And immediately, think about this. Do you believe that Jesus can immediately change your situation? Do you believe that Jesus can immediately change the heart of your neighbor, of your friend, of your coworker, a family member, a child? Do you believe that? Let me ask you a question. What's the best thing that you can give someone? What's the best thing you can give someone? This is where all the, the, the third graders in Sunday school class go. Jesus. Yeah, you're right, actually. It is. Yep. Good job, Johnny. Have another vanilla wafer. The best thing you can give someone is Jesus. Jesus in your life. Jesus in your job. Jesus in your priorities. Jesus in your parenting. Jesus in your testimony. Jesus in your teaching. Jesus in the way you handle your business. Jesus in all that you do. And Jesus in all that you say. Why? Because there's transformative power in the name of Jesus. And when you get discouraged, and when you get overwhelmed, we don't look to the world to fix that. We go back to Jesus. I love the song. It's simply this, give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. When I'm alone, when I'm alone, oh, when I'm alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. Just give me Jesus. When I come to die, oh, when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And Peter and John knew exactly what this man needed. He needed the power of Jesus Christ in his life. It's interesting here as we think about this physical transformation it compares up nicely to even the spiritual transformation of the heart. And just look at this. I have a, a chart here where we attempted to put um, up here about just the comparison between the physical healing and the spiritual salvation of this man. You can see it. This man was, was lame from birth. We're, we're sinners from birth. This man was unable to heal himself. We are unable to save ourselves. Good works or money could not heal him. Only Jesus 
can save him. Man is healed by God's power, and sinners are saved only by God's power. It was unexpected. He was not searching for God. God sought us out for salvation. This healing responded with great joy, and salvation brings us great joy, and there's even joy in heaven when one sinner repents. This healing was a testimony to others, and our salvation is also a testimony to others. Isn't it a neat comparison there to see that? Which leads us then to the third response, or the third point, which is this, the response of this miracle. What is the response to this miracle that happens here? Immediately, he's brought to his feet. His ankles were made strong. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood, began to walk, and he entered the temple with them. It says this, walking and leaping and praising God. Right? You could just see it, right? I mean, how happy is this guy? I'm happy for him. I've been happy for him all week. I'm still happy for him. I mean, this is incredible. For 40 years, he's just sitting there, and now he's, what, walking and leaping and praising God? This is fantastic. How could you not be excited for this guy? I can't wait to see him in heaven and be like, hey, what's that like? I mean, you just jump to your feet. These words, walking, leaping, again, it's in this unique form where it was this continual action over and over and over again. I find this interesting, too. Where's the first place that he goes? Right into the temple. I bet he's thinking, man, for 40 years I've sat here. I'm going to go beyond this gate to find out what's going on inside there. Can I go with you guys? Take me in there. And he was walking and leaping and inside the temple. He was praising God inside the temple. I'm sure the people that, uh, uh, the, 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 the rulers of the temple, they were probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You've never been in here. You sit out there. What happened? What just took place? How are you walking right now? Immediately overjoyed. A permanent smile would come across his face as he would radiate the joy of the Lord in his life as he was, as it says there, he was praising God. We talked about this in chapter 2 and verse 47, that that same phrase there, he is praising God, this, this idea of songs being burst out of his life, overjoyed with happiness. This man was transformed on the inside. He was transformed on the outside. He was turned from a sinner into a saint. And he went into the temple to do what the rest of them were doing, which is what? To pray. Praising God. Secondly, there's this, not only the response of the crippled, but we could say this, there's also the response of the community. What did the community do? Well, look 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 there in verse 9. And all the people saw him Walking and praising God. And so just so we're clear, the word walk is used over and over and over again. Just, it's, like, it's like, hey, I want you to know he's, he's still moving. Okay, this actually happened. They saw him walking and 
and praising God and, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, again, asking for money. And, and they were filled, here it is, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They looked at his life and said, okay, what's going on there? Something's changed. Something has radically changed. And all the community is now in awe. They're all in amazement. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ had done in this man's life. He was now a walking, leaping, singing billboard for Jesus Christ. Isaac Walton said this, this short little phrase. He says, God has two dwellings, one in heaven and the other in a thankful heart. God was in the heart of this thankful man and everybody saw it and they were in wonder and they were in amazement. The same, the same response that was, that was even happening when the church came together and they were, they were generous and they had glad hearts. Now look at this. Now think about this. The church didn't say assembled. They, that, that those hearts that were praising God and thanking God, they were now entering into the streets. And as people came to know Christ, what were they doing? Praising and thanking God. And what did this do? This attracted the community to Christ. They were in awe. They were in wonder. They knew that only through the power of Jesus Christ could this man be so radically healed, radically transformed. We peek into to next week. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, <laughs> just thinking about this guy, he's just like hanging on, like, this is my guys. He's hanging on. Because if I let go, I might fall. I don't know if this is really real. He's just hanging on. People are astounded. They ran to them to the portico called Solomon's. And then Peter gives this great explanation of it all. Well, what's our response, church? What's our response to this? How do we take this all in. Let me just ask this. Maybe there's some of you right now that are placing your faith in the next deal or the next contract or in your retirement or in a relationship begging the world for something that cannot satisfy you. begging the world to provide you with happiness that God never created it to give you. Maybe there's some of you that are in need of healing right now in your life. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're still held captive by anxiety or selfishness or pride or wealth or lust and the blessing of God isn't upon your life. Can I tell you this? I have no silver or gold to give you, but what I can give you is Jesus Christ. What I can tell you is to flee those things and pursue Jesus Christ with all your life. Go to him. He can give you the healing, the only healing that, that your heart desires. Run to him. Trust him. 
Give your life to him. Repent of the sin that is in your heart and embrace the one who can transform and change your life immediately. He has the power to do that. And our response is this, we rejoice because we have real hope. We have hope of healing because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again as we've been saying even all morning for the Word of God. It's powerful. It transforms. It changes our hearts. Thank you for this story. I'm so glad it's in our Bibles. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet this guy, to hear more about what actually happened and the impact even of this miracle on our lives today. Help us, Lord. It's so hard often Lord, to not run to the world to find satisfaction and happiness and healing, it's really hard. The world is so enticing. Lord, help us to not run horizontally to find joy and satisfaction. Help us to to look vertically into heaven where Christ is seated. Where there are pleasures forevermore where our joy is made complete in Christ. Would you help us, Lord, in that? Would you change us, Lord? Would you heal the broken this morning? Would you cause us to forever be satisfied in you alone? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.